This is The Drive with Josh Graham podcast. We are killing it online. Tune into The Drive weekday afternoons 3 to 7 on WSJS. Glad to have you on this Tuesday drive. It is WSJS News Talk Sports for the Triad, where unfortunately there are two injury headlines that are going to dominate much of the show. We now know Aaron Rodgers will miss the entire season with an Achilles tear. That was confirmed today. We'll get to that a little bit later on. However, more relevant around here is an update on our guy, J.C. Horn. Send me that cash out, fam. During the Panthers opener, J.C. Horn went down with a hamstring injury. According to ESPN Today, J.C. is going to miss multiple games because of it, which is a massive blow. However, it could have been less of a blow if Scott Fitterer, the Panthers GM, and the front office didn't ignore the warning signs that were right there in front of them during OTAs. And since they didn't act then, they're no longer going to have a trustworthy corner out on the field at least the next few weeks. They don't have a trustworthy corner on this team. Dante Jackson used to be that, but he's coming off of an Achilles tear. We don't know what that's going to look like over a 17-game season. C.J. Henderson, that guy's a bust. He was taken with a top 10 pick by Jacksonville a few years ago. Carolina traded for him, only giving up a third-round pick. It's a flyer situation to see if he can reach some of that potential. He's not going to do that. That's why Jacksonville got rid of him. That's not a guy you want starting games for you. And Troy Hill is going to likely be the veteran to step in in J.C.'s place. He was signed off waivers just a few weeks ago. For this reason, the lack of depth Carolina has, J.C. Horn was one of the three defensive players that Carolina absolutely positively could not afford to lose. Joining Brian Burns, joining Derek Brown. You could not afford to lose J.C., and they did. And the lack of depth, again, was exposed in OTAs. The warning signs were there months ago. We talked about it then. That's when J.C. Horn went down with that injury scare with his foot. It was in the middle of OTAs. They shut him down for the rest of it, the rest of the offseason program. We were thinking, oh, no, is this the same foot that he was dealing with when he missed much of his rookie season? It turned out not to be. It turned out not to be that serious. He was back by the time training camp started and, you know, went on without a beat in preseason and to start the season until he was hurt in the first half. But that injury, him going down then, that scare with C.J. Henderson at that point being banged up too and missing that practice where Horn was down. And also – Dante Jackson had not returned from the Achilles at that point. That should have been enough for the Panthers to say, we need to address this. We need to add somebody to this team who has serious game reps beneath them and can help if Carolina should have any type of attrition. Attrition that should have been expected given what we just described. J.C. with injury problems over the last few years and Dante off the Achilles and C.J. Henderson, who's been banged up too. Carolina should have expected this. And there were decent vets available at the time. Marcus Peters was on the waiver wire. Eli Apple was looking for a team. He was here for a cup of coffee under Matt Rule, but 
Since then, he played for the Bengals and played really important football games. No one else on this team can say that. And to make matters worse, it's just a brutal time to lose J.C. Horn. They have a rookie quarterback right now who's just trying to figure it out. So while that's happening, you're going to try and win with your defense, holding teams to less than 20 points because the offense is going to struggle to score. And now you're going to be without your best corner? Like, look at the teams they're playing over the next month. He's going to miss multiple weeks. The next five opponents Carolina faces has quarterbacks starting for them who threw for at least 3,500 yards last year. That's not a small number. Like, I think only 14 or 15 guys last year threw for 3,500 yards or more. A third of them are on the Panthers' schedule in a row, consecutively starting with Derek Carr next week. The week after that, on a short week going out west, it's Geno Smith and the Seahawks. The week after that, it's Kirk Cousins and the Vikings. The week after that, it's Jared Goff and the Lions on the road. And then it's going to Miami and facing Tua. That's that. Those are the offenses. Those are the quarterbacks you're going up against. So it's a brutal time for this to happen. It felt like this massive blow could have been lessened if Carolina acted, and they didn't. And now, ignoring those uh, warning signs is going to burn them. Ignoring those warning signs that were there during OTAs is going to hurt Carolina. On Twitter at WSJS Radio, if you want in, that's where we're streaming video. In addition to Twitch and YouTube, however and wherever you're listening or watching, we appreciate that. Will Dalton is the executive producer of this show, WD. Big show today. Massive. Mike Mike Lombardi's going to join us. Aaron Rodgers went down. Usually it's fun when you see Jet fans wallowing in pain. Not so much last night. No, just the anticipation for all that. Him coming out of the tunnel with the flag. On 9-11 for the Jets. Hard knocks leading up to this. It's it's not good. It's bad for football. Yeah, and he's out for the remainder of the year, and we have to sit through several Zach Wilson primetime games. But let's get to college football for a bit. You know who we haven't heard much from the last couple of weeks? The uber-obnoxious SEC hype machine. I'm looking at you, Peter Burns, and we're looking at you, Powell! Why? Why haven't we heard from those guys? Because after years of those people shamelessly carrying the league's water and bashing the ACC at every turn. In fact, the only time I heard from Powell the last few weeks was a week ago after Clemson lost to Duke, dooming the ACC and dooming the Dabo run. The reason why we haven't heard a lot from them is because the ACC is every bit as good as the SEC this year. They might even be better than the SEC this year. And this is the argument. The ACC has dominated head-to-head matchups. Dominated. By definition. The ACC is 4-1 against the SEC head-to-head. All four of the ACC's wins are by double digits. But if you were to broaden it, the SEC facing other power conferences, the SEC's 1-6 and cross-power-five competition. The only win is against the worst team in the ACC, Virginia. 
That's the only win. Tennessee beating Virginia. That's all they have in terms of power five wins through the first two weeks. Like on the biggest stage, the biggest stages. College game day week one. North Carolina, South Carolina. North Carolina by two touchdowns. The day after that, top 10 matchup, LSU, Florida State. Florida State by three touchdowns against a national title contender. College game day, going down to Tuscaloosa. Surely the SEC won't lose at home. Nick Saban's only lost at home eight times his entire career at T-Town. Texas by double digits at Alabama. Not very good. The ACC and the SEC right now each have one clear national title contender. Because of those losses that Bama and LSU have, they're not close to the top of the rankings. Florida State is third. Georgia's first as the twice-defending national champion. But Georgia lost a lot from last year, and we don't really know how good they are because they haven't played anybody yet. And this week, oh, they got South Carolina. That game's between the hedges. We still aren't going to know what Georgia is after this week. Meanwhile, Florida State went toe-to-toe with LSU. Actually, more than toe-to-toe, they beat the brakes off LSU. So you can make an argument. Right now, you know more about what Florida State is than you know about this Georgia team. But Josh, that's just the number one team in the conference. Can't really argue that one conference is better than the other based on just one team, right? What about the next grouping? Let's go through the next four in the conference. So this will make up the top five of each league. The SEC after Georgia has Bama, Tennessee, LSU, and Ole Miss. The ACC has North Carolina, Miami, Duke, and Clemson. Which group of four would you take? I think I'm taking the ACC. Why? Because half of those teams don't have losses yet. And the only reason the ACC has one loss there is because Clemson lost head-to-head with Duke. One of those two teams had to lose. With the ACC, I'm getting the best win out of that eight-team grouping. With Miami beating Texas A&M. I'm getting the best quarterback with Drake May with respect to Joe Milton. Clemson might have the best defense of any of those teams. And again, half the teams didn't lose. So the ACC's next group of four might be better than the SEC. But I can already hear SEC fans saying, Josh can't say that because of titles. But wait, I thought during basketball season, SEC people were telling me that the SEC was better than the ACC because of regular season results and how many teams were getting into the tournament. It didn't matter how many Final Four teams you were getting. Josh, you're just playing the results in the postseason. You can't have it both ways. If you're going to make that argument in March, saying, oh, the regular season has to matter, you can't go off past results, even though the ACC has dominated in that regard, then I can play the results of right now on the field and the ACC's dominance head-to-head in making a football argument. That's just how it works. The ACC, every bit as good as the SEC this year. Maybe even better. This is it. Ready? All right, hold on. All right, do it, do it. All right, listen up. This is The Drive with Josh Graham. Randolph Childress hanging out in studio with us. We'll get to Mike Lombardi's top five NFL players ever from the book he has out football done right. We will talk to Mike Lombardi later in the show about these lists. He also did the top five coaches as well. Randolph Childress. I could tell very interested in that. I'm tickling. I'm teasing uh, Randolph Childress with that, but let's get into 
ACC basketball. Whose offseason jumped out to you the most within the ACC? I think the surprising team in the ACC that I believe will be there when it matters and could very well be the number one team in the league is Clemson. I'm with you. Joe Girard, cross from Syracuse to Clemson. And Jack Clark from NC, NC State, State to Clemson. P.J. Uh, Hall back. Yes. And Chase Hunter back, who yes. is a really good player. Yes. His brother's back. Hemingway is a shooter to stretch the floor. Oh, they have Hemingway back uh, too. They, they've, they've got some guys there. they got some younger guys there that's going to be able to – to uh, they're a tough team. They're well coached. They defend well. I think they just added a lot of scoring, and I, they're going to be a tough out for a team. They 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 started out strong at the beginning of the year. They you know they fell toward the end and they faltered a little bit. But they they've added extra ball handling, perimeter shooting, scoring for a team that defends the way they do. Look out! If you had an AP preseason vote, where are you placing Duke nationally? I think they're number one, ahead of Kansas. I do. I I. I my concern with – I get it with Hunter Dickinson and him going how big of a deal that is, but the versatility that that team has with that top five-ranked recruiting class with four starters returning on a team that went to the second round of the NCAA tournament. I, 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 they have guard play with Proctor and Roach. I think Filipowski will be a, night, night, a matchup nightmare. I would love for him to play some small ball five. I think they're unguardable. I think he's tough enough to do that this year. I, I questioned that when I saw them a year ago. And then he just, of all the freshmen, he just took off. Uh, and by the way, that's oof. the reason he's coming back. There are concerns that he'll be able to translate to the NBA if he mm -hmm. can't play in the post. So I know, personally, there are conversations that have happened behind yes. the scenes where Filipowski, this is the next yes. step you need to take to yes. be able to play it, small ball. It five. is. It is. And if he does that, then then they, that changes the game for Duke. I, I don't think you can... His ability to put the ball on the floor uh, at the center spot, and if he can consistently make threes at the high 30s and do different things with the talent around him, uh, I like their ability both ends of the floor. My issue with Kansas is that as strong as they are defensively with the other positions, I don't think that's Hunter Dickinson's strength. I think you can, you'll can attack him by putting him in ball screens constantly, and uh, I, I just think Duke's a little bit more well-rounded on the defensive end. This is going to be a shocker, but I've upset – some North Carolina fans. I've upset the sixth man of Tar Heel basketball, B-Dot, as well. <laughs> because I don't know if I'm a believer yet. I can already hear B-Dot channeling his inner Deion Sanders, like yelling at me, yeah. do you believe? Yeah. Yeah. Do you believe? Do you believe? Uh, but all the guys they added. Right. I understand you want to, you know, you really struggle moving the ball. You really struggle from three-point. And all the guys they added, great at assists. The numbers look good from three-point range. But none of the guys they added played for an NCAA tournament team last year. Not Harrison Ingram, not Cormac Ryan. None of them. Right. None of them did. Right. Jalen Withers. Right. That's why I'm a little concerned of, okay, the numbers look good on paper, but you were producing those numbers for teams that weren't very good that usually doesn't mean those numbers are going to be stay consistent or look even better when you play for a team that's supposed to be better. I, I think Carolina is going to be – I think everybody's just taking that taste of last year. That team was the most disappointing team that we've seen in recent memory. Number one seed preseason didn't make the tournament. But do you believe Randolph Childress? I, I do now, and I'll tell you why. Do you believe? I do. I, I, I do. I, I think now I think that people are going the other way, and I think they're underrating them. Mm. If – 
Armando Baco, a Baycott, and R.J. Davis. Wait, who is that? Armando. 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 If if he's as good as we believe he is, if he wants to be a player of the year, um, this team needs to respond. I think one guy that you added which will help them, and I think he's a really underrated player, is Cormac Ryan. I think he is good as he is as good of a three and D guy in that league. He's the only guy in that Notre Dame team that I thought that defended. Mm-hmm. And I think in that system with a guy like Armando, I think he'll shoot 40% from three. My only concern with him, and I said this to Hubert when I saw him this summer at Peach Jam, is when you get fifth-year guys and they come in, particularly a school like Carolina, but pretty much any school, they tend to just wait and just be passive in leadership instead of just coming right through the door with all of his experience. I mean, heck, he's about as old as you are. You know, he needs to be, you know, coming through the door with his level of experience from a, as a player. But if he can come in and assume of a lead, I think that's I, the concerns I have with Carolina is leadership in the locker room. That's I, it. And I think that he, if he imposes his will with that, I think he can answer that bell for them. By the way, can you believe that Armando Baycott? Armando. He offered 10K to me to stop playing the sound on the radio. Did you hear about this? I did. He's I did. sick. He, he's sick he's, of it. He's over it. He can't. He he's can't over do it. Anyway. Well, I think. I think. I told us. him we need to make it happen. Uh, I told him that I'm not going to take 10k. We're going to put it. We're going to put it to something charitable. If he then, no, you should tell him if he wins Player of the Year <laughs> and dominates, then then we'll do it. That's it. There you go. You get rid of it that mid-season, way. Mid season, mid season. If he's ACC Player of the Year, right? Then we'll stop. I won't call him next time. But he's a he's a mondo. Until, until he, he delivers on that aspect. That's it. Or, or we give it to charity. Yeah, that's the other that's thing. That's it. We'll, we'll do that. We'll give, we'll give it to charity make that happen. Who do you have uh, less of a read on, NC State or Wake Forest? Uh, State will have bodies. I don't. They'll, they'll be a different team. They won't be as top-heavy with the backcourt that they had last year, but they'll have bodies in depth, which is good for them because their system they'll press. Can Wake overcome the loss of Bobby Clinton? They can, but... Because that was unexpected. Which, which they is, knew they were replacing yeah. Ty Apple. Well, I, I didn't, I didn't think it was surprising. I, I don't know if you can say that. I think anytime a guy, when a name is – I started hearing it as a possibility that I just thought that he may go somewhere else because I knew it was a money thing. I think that, that, that the way the system is set up, the money that was floating around for talents like that, it, I thought it would be difficult for him to stay. Even if it's it's it was GoPro or another school, the numbers that I was hearing being floated around for that young man was – I thought it would have been difficult for him to stay awake. Okay. Transitioning to football done right, Mike Lombardi. We have a counter, five through one here. Uh-oh. Here are the five greatest players ever, according to former NFL GM Mike Lombardi going through NFL history. Okay. Number five. Jerry Rice. Number four. Reggie White. Number three. Jim Brown. Number two. Lawrence Taylor. Number one. Tom Brady. Don't have a problem with the list. I think Rice needs to be higher. I agree. Um, Are we sure Reggie White's better than Deacon Jones or Bruce Smith? Yes. Okay. I think he's better than them. Okay. I and I do believe Lawrence Teller. I I I, I don't have a problem with that list at all. I I Jim I, I, I would Jim make Brown, Rice a little Lawrence higher though. Taylor, Jerry Rice. Hard to separate those three. No. But I do believe all three of them should be above Reggie White. That's probably the only thing I would I, have I, qualms yeah, I, with. I, I don't have a problem with that at all. Okay, let's get to. Top five coaches, Ooh. according to Mike Lombardi. And there is a little bit of a surprise in here. All right, let's do it. Number five. Got to make sure I can read my handwriting. George, <laughs> George Hallis. 
Number four. That's the Chicago Bears uh, legend. Joe Gibbs. Number three. Bill Belichick. Number two. Vince Lombardi. Number one. Paul Brown. Paul Brown, who was the coach of the Browns. They named the team after him. I mean, come on. And then the Bengals, their greatest rival, named the stadium after him. Come on. Uh, so many of those guys did it before. Belichick. Yeah. I, I, the one thing I'd say why I. No Don Chula. I say Belichick is free agency. Yep. Like coaches that coached in, you know, predate free agency is it's different. You can't keep everybody. That, and, that changes everything. And the media. And everything and that goes football. with that. I mean, people can, you know, frown upon them now because lately, you know, without Tom Brady, you can make that argument, whatever. But how do you argue against uh, Tom Belichick uh, as being the greatest and most accomplished coach of all time? I, I don't get that. That one, I, I, would have, I would have a little pushback on that one. We will push back when uh, – Mike Lombardi joins us later in the show. Thrive, once again, you're at Hope City, Thursday night. 6.30. Wahlberg, we have one more hour to register, but swing on through. Come through. High schoolers, it's free. You want to see Randolph and Randolph, some positive words for the for the kids. We do it for the kids. We do it for the kids. We do it for the kids. Uh, make sure to support that. It's a really cool thing that John McClam and Randolph Childress are doing. Really do appreciate you being in our new dance, oh, man, I'm, Randolph. I'm, I'm liking it, man. It's a lot closer this time. You, so you have no excuse not to miss my dicks. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I'll hold him accountable. You should. You should. I will. He's sitting in the studio, everybody, with this Virginia gear on, and I'm not really happy about that. I, but I my wife's a Virginia grad. I know, but you represent. I know. I, got, I see it. Hey, my you know. wife's a Virginia grad. I married into it. That's yeah. it. That's a good comeback. All right, there you go. And they're not any good in football this year. So, you know, there we go. All right, Randolph. Thanks for being in here. Always a pleasure. It's the drive with Josh Graham. We have a $20 gift card to go see our friends at Biscuit King. Get yourself a ginormous biscuit. But how about we take it up a notch? The first person to call in and tell us something good... At 336-777-1600, we'll not only get the ginormous biscuit, perhaps, or whatever you like for $20 at Biscuit King, but also we'll get tickets to see some comedy this weekend in Greensboro as Daniel Tosh, one of WD's favorites, will be performing this week. So if you would like a pair of tickets to go see Daniel Tosh and a $20 gift card to Biscuit King, give us a call, tell us something good at 336-777-1600. Or tell us something good, because it is time for Weekly Positivity. Oh, yeah. Are those... Sad tissues or happy tissues? Oh, yeah. 336 777 1600. Biscuit King. Ginormous biscuit. Daniel Tosh. Greensboro. Tanger Center. 336 777 1600. Hi, Will. Hi, Josh. 
Tell me something good. Well, for starters, today was my last day filling in on Triad Today in the morning with Jeffrey Griffin. Why is that good? It's good because for the first time in a week and a half, I don't have to get up at 4 a.m. Yeah. And leave the house by 5. Wow. It's, it's going to be nice to actually get some regular sleep. Wait. And work out in the morning. You wake up at 4 a.m. and leave at 5? For me, I would just shower at night and like wake up at 4.45 to leave by 5 o'clock. That would be my strategy. Like, leave almost immediately after I wake up. But then again, I'm not really a morning person. I'm a late night person. I go to sleep at around 12.30, 1 o'clock every night. And I guess a lot of that has to do with watching sports late night. WD, I'll tell you something good. It's my birthday. Shout out to... You gotta wait till it's your birthday. Bryce Young, yeah. <laughs> can't have birthday cake every day. But you, you can't can. have a birthday cake every day. Like You gotta wait till it's your birthday. That's right. 30 years old. And guess what we're doing to celebrate? What are you doing? My wife, my wife, wife, has never been to a Brazilian steakhouse. What's that? You've never been to a Brazilian steakhouse I either? I never have. Been to a re- I've been to a regular so steakhouse. So today, I didn't eat lunch. I just had like an apple. Because at Brazilian steakhouses, you have a flat rock. Most people listening know what's up and know that you're just not very cultured. And one side of the rock is painted green. The other side is painted red. When, you, when the meal starts, you, you you turn the rock over from red side up to green side up. Green and that's a signal to all the folks at the Brazilian Steakhouse to bring some food over and on a regular cycle just drop off some meat, high quality meat on your plate. Good meat. Until you say no mas and flip it back over red side up. So that's good she's never experienced that before and she'll get a chance to do that tonight and i'm gonna eat a lot of meats very excited green means go and that's good we go from bryce young mr birthday cake himself you gotta wait till it's your birthday to bryce in jamestown bryce if you tell me something good you're gonna go see daniel tosh and you're going to get a $20 gift card to Biscuit King. So go right ahead, Bryce. My son just got married, and he got married in South Carolina at the lovely beach in Mount Pleasant, which is absolutely a gorgeous place. Did you cry? No, I did not cry. (laughs) Okay. That's good. That's good. So were we on the beach? Like, actually on the beach? It was not directly on the beach. It was on one of the um, rivers that flow into the bay in Charleston. That is outstanding. Actually, you know what I'll say? What adjective I'll attach to that, Bryce? I'll say, that's good. Definitely. Thank Thank you for the call, and enjoy the show. Let's go to Travis. 
from Greensboro, who has something good to share with us. Travis, we don't have a gift card. We don't really have, like, uh, the tickets anymore, but tell me something good, though. Well, I am a Philadelphia Eagles fan. Wow. And while we are perpetually pessimistic about our team, the Eagles did manage to squeak out a win on Sunday. Yeah. And living in the Carolinas, I don't like hearing Carolina Panthers fans talk about their team. Yeah. And Bryce Young let down their franchise for the first week of men. And that's good. Travis, that's not very nice. You gotta wait till spring. Well, there goes Travis in uh, Greensboro. You know, there's this um, perception that's out there that Philadelphia sports fans can be a bit unpleasant sometimes and uh, have hate in their hearts for other teams. I think that might have been an example of that. I didn't say that. No, but I said that. He said that. I mean, Bryce Young's a pleasant person. He is. He's always talking about birthdays and things. You gotta wait till it's your birthday. And that's good. Tell me something good with you on the way out. So... Oh, wait, you already told me about the morning, but do you have anything else? I do. Oh, please. So along with uh, watching Forgetting Sarah Marshall tonight, there's something I gotta do before that, though. What's that? There's a big new episode of the Star Wars show that's out right now. I'm going to have to watch that first. Joe Obius dropped a reference about that last week, and he's like, Will's not on the show, is he? And I'm like, no. It's like, well, darn. Because he knows I would have jumped right in there. I hate I missed that. That's not good. That's been Weekly Positivity. You got to wait till it's your birthday. Bryce needs to keep it down, man. <laughs> not Bryce in Jamestown. Congratulations to that guy. No. Oh, that yeah, that Bryce is good. And, you know, there are fan bases that can be obnoxious and you don't mind seeing bad things happen to them, like when Kentucky basketball loses. Like, I'm with, what was his name, James? Travis. Travis. I'm with Travis. That there are some fan bases. I just never got that vibe from Panther fans. I guess maybe Cowboy since there fans. are so many. Yes. Good Lord. Yes. Like, I get it for some fan bases. I just never heard it with Panther fans. And no. I could say that because I'm not a Panther fan. WD is. I, I don't really have a team. I just I just hope everybody has fun. That's all I hope. Let's all just have fun around here. We're, we all win. Former NFL executive Michael Lombardi now with us. He has a new book out called Football Done Right, which I have here and you can see on our video stream. I've enjoyed flipping through it over the last week. And there's a lot to dig in with it, but let's start with a few NFL quick hitters before we get into the book. Even after that circus win that the Jets had last night, Mike, how miserable is the Jets' front office today with the news? Well, I mean, if they are, they have to hide it because the season goes on. It's the next man up, and you know, and you can't cry anymore, and you got to find a way to figure out how to win. It's like Mickey Corcoran, the former high school coach of Bill Parcells used to tell him all the time, it's your job to figure out how to win, not how to, to explain why you can't win. So that's the job of the front office. And I think they've got to spend a lot of time trying to uh, 
you know, they're going to recreate their team offensively. They have to. And they've got to say to their team, look, Zach Wilson's going to be the guy. We're going to go with Zach Wilson. And they got to show the team that. It was funny. When Brady got hurt in New England, Belichick had two players scheduled for a workout. One of them actually was Christopher Sims, the, the NBC broadcaster. Oh, wow. He was coming in for a workout. And after Brady got hurt, Belichick didn't work any quarterback out because he wanted the team to know that he had faith in 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 Matt Castle. And by working guys out, it shows you don't, right? And so that's the message I think the Jets have to send. Mike Lombardi with us here looking at next Monday night. The Carolina Panthers will have their home opener, Bryce Young's home debut. Either during the draft process or since he's been in Charlotte, what's the best Bryce Young story you've been told? I haven't really been told too much about him. I just love the way he plays. I think he's got great anticipation. His arm is stronger than people think it is, and it's strong. I mean, he's got a much stronger arm than Tua or or Matt Jones. He can throw the ball from different launch points. Look, he's a young player who's going to make mistakes. I don't like that he threw two interceptions last week. He knows better than to stare the free safety down and lead him to the football. But I think he's going to be great. I really do. I think he's going to be great. And I think they have a chance with him now at quarterback to turn their franchise around. Do you like that pairing of Bryce Young and Frank Reich? Well, I, I think we've got to get it some time here, you know, and I would I want them to be a little bit more physical offensively. You know, more on, I like them to be under center more because I think we have this tendency to make these short quarterbacks play them in shotgun all the time when in, when in essence – when they're under center, they're more effective because of play action and you can separate the defense, much like what Sean Payton did with Drew Brees for all those years. So, you know, I mean, look, Frank's got a, a reputation for developing quarterbacks. It needs to manifest itself in Charlotte. Getting to your book, Football Done Right, you rank the 10 best coaches ever, the 100 greatest players ever, which reminds me of something Bob Ryan has told us a handful of times over the years. He says there's no American sport that looks more different today than it did 50 years ago than football. And the example he always gave was there was one player in the NFL in 1970 that weighed 300 pounds. And today there's nearly 500 of them across the NFL, which could make it difficult to do what you did in your book, comparing generations and ranking those 100 players. What position did you find was the hardest to figure out? Well, I think the offensive line for that reason, right? Plus the rules were so dramatically different, right? You you didn't have a chance to really uh, use your hands. You couldn't punch. You couldn't be able to uh, to do the things that you wanted to do in terms of, of pass protection. And so, you know, the linemen took a penalty. The offensive, the defensive players, you know, had such an advantage back then. That's why everybody ran the football. You know, you could you could mangle the receivers. I mean, that's why the corners were so big. You could go up to the corner and just tear them down and take them off. But I, I think at the end of the day, you know, the weight thing was relative to the other players on the field, and some of these guys would have gained weight as well. So, um, you know, I think a lot of guys that played then could play now. There is one bone I've got to pick. I don't want to give away the entire book, like tell you who number one oh. is or number two or anything like that, but Julius Peppers – not one of yeah. your top five defensive ends. You've got Leroy Selman, Gino Martetti, uh, the former Baltimore Colt, Bruce Smith, Deacon Jones, and Reggie White in front of him. 
Peppers is our state's Paul Bunyan. He's going to be a first yeah, ballot. He's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer next year. So I'd figure I'd at least bring that up. That him being outside the top five—that's crazy. Yeah, well, I mean, it was hard. It's a hard list to get together, and he certainly was under a lot of consideration, and his numbers backed it up. I mean, he, you know, he had such a great career, and, and he played a long time in the league. And, and uh, you know, at some point when you put together a list like this, you're going to leave some guys off, unfortunately. And, I mean, Jack Youngblood had 151 career sacks. Not a lot of guys do that, right? And I know Peppers had 159, but most of the time when Youngblood played, they weren't keeping track of sacks. So, you know, and, and Youngblood played 13 years. He did all those things. I mean, you know, it, it's a hard list to get into. There's no question about it. Uh, you know, I didn't put Jason Taylor on the list because yeah. I think to me, you know, even though he had 139 and a half sacks during his career, there were I would have put Peppers ahead of him. And I didn't put Willie Davis in the list, who I think is a great, great player, you know, who won five championships and was – you know, all pro 10 times. I mean, so it's it's hard. These lists are not easy. Someone's going to get left off. Let's close with this. The book, again, Football Done Right, it's a great read. Mike Lombardi, kind enough to be here with us. Speaking of Pep, you had fellow Tar Heel Lawrence Taylor, ranked very high. Uh, great anecdotes about their times, uh, their time in school. With that in mind, uh, their their college days in Chapel Hill, also the fact you were a general manager whether it be a Tar Heel, a Wolfpack, a Demon Deacon, or whatever, do you have any good scouting stories from our corner of the universe? You know, the one thing about the Golden Triangle there is, uh, you, you know, you, you, when you live in Cleveland, Ohio, in February and March, you're like, where can we go and still do our job? So uh, we would come down to Chapel Hill and stay at the at the Carolina Inn right there on campus. You and Belichick, you you and Belichick, Belichick would go to Chapel Hill. Belichick and I, along with Jim Schwartz, and we would rent a suite and we'd bring our Betacam projector with us and we would go from, get up in the morning and go over and work out Wake Forest players, come back and watch tape. We'd go over and work out, you know, Duke players, come back and watch tape, go to NC State, come back and watch tape, spend spend a week down there enjoying the sun, watch a little North Carolina baseball right there on campus. That always was nice. Go over and sit there and watch a couple innings, go back and watch some more tapes, take a great jog on the campus. I mean, is there a better life than that? I mean, seriously, you're getting your work done and you're on the, one of the greatest, to me, one of the greatest campuses of all time. And that was probably one of the highlights of my career, being able to spend that week there and really enjoying it. Any workout or player stand out to you or Belichick? You know that there was so many good players. Remember, this is some. This was part of the Dick Crum era where they weren't winning, which is what I used to say all the time. Like, how can't you win here? Like to me, North Carolina was always a phone and a desk school. And you know what a phone and a desk school is? Just call kids on the phone and tell them to come because it's so great here that if we could just get them here, they're going to come here. And so you know there were so many great players that we worked out from that area. And one of them was, you know, Dave Brown, the old quarterback from Duke who came out in the supplemental draft. We spent a lot of time. Mike Lombardi, the book Football Done Right. Great forward written by Jim Nance as well, uh, which is great. Jim Nance with great ties to this area, including his dad going to Guilford College right here in Greensboro. Yeah, you want a great Jim Nance story? You want a great Jim Nance Give story? Give us one. Let's one. go. Uh, all right. So Jim Nance, you know he grew up there, right? His dad was in the furniture business. And so one day – when he was doing a golf tournament there, he drives by his old house and he knocks on the door of his old house. And, and obviously the people that live in the home 
know him because there's no one nicer than the great Jim Nance. And so they welcomed him in. They said, we've been waiting for you to come back here. We thought you would show up. They take him into the basement and they show him the pool table that the Nance family left in the basement. And they said, we want to give you this pool table. We will, we want to, we've been waiting for you to show up. We want to give you this pool table as an appreciation for everything you've done on television and being able to own this home. And so when you go to Jim Nance's home in Pebble Beach now, that pool table was shipped from North Carolina to Pebble Beach, and it's in his family room as we speak. Those stories like that, just for football players, you could expect to see in football done right. I can confirm there are stories just like that, including some of the stuff that Lawrence Taylor used to do to poor offensive lines in the ACC that he went up against in the early 1980s. Mike, congrats on the book, and thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for having me.